What's up, everybody? Welcome to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are finally here. We are finally here at the moment where we are going to discuss Season 3, Episode 21, The Die is Cast. Uh, Mike and I have not even shared impressions about it yet. Uh, we are coming in completely cold. I can't wait to hear what Mike has to say about this episode. Uh, how's it going, Mike? It's going great, Keith. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, this is the first episode. Now, we've done uh, many hours <laughs> of content. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And sure never have. before has Keith written me before the show mm-hmm. and literally laid down the law. He said, Mike, because he knows me. We're friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, Mike, you know, take your time with this one. Yeah, full, pay, full pay, talent, focus. full effort on this one. <laughs> <laughs> to which I thought, well, that's, what do you think? I'm just not paying attention, but he's right. Sometimes I'm a little drunk. Sometimes I'm inebriated in another way. Sometimes it's like butt clock at night and I'm tired, too tired. So, you, you know, you're distracted. You got to get it done before we go. Yeah, I get it. I mean, like life comes up and like, you know, some sometimes you you work a little, you know, uh, you have to sort of fit it in. So I, had a, one, I have I was a, like, a friend at work who who wrote me up a script, Keith which basically uh, makes the scene filter inside of VLC take screenshots at a predetermined amount of frames. So basically every 11 seconds. And so whilst maybe that will lead to like a few choice screenshot misses, it mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. free me to actually key in. And so that's Lock what I did. Lock in and focus. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was, it was cool because if I'm not mistaken, I've been for forbidden from reading the companion if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. this episode was written post facto right they wrote the first episode and decided hey we should make a part two for this so they sort of retrofit Mm -hmm. the first episode to allow for a second episode which i imagine was a pretty gargantuan task for a writing team to kind of like yeah i mean i I, create a whole separate arc of of an episode well i i don't know right i'm I'm speculating here, but I imagine they had this storyline in the pipeline and and didn't know quite when to put it in. Mm-hmm. And I think this was like, this is when we need to put the storyline in. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine they would just wing this because this was a giant episode. Yeah, there's some, uh. there's some tropes I'm interested in discussing. There's also some great character work continuing from last week. So, uh, yeah, let's ju- let's dive in. Yeah, all right. Uh, but before we do, we have to give the viewer ratings for Improbable Cause, part one of this saga here. Uh, here we go. Joshua Cronin gives it a 95. Jason Moe gives it an 84. YouTube viewer with a 95. Delusions at noon with a 96. JD a little lower with a 95. Uh, with an 82, that is. But Harry Pothead comes in with a 95. And Worf's big old boot shivs comes in with a 93. And of course, coming in with the super tip, as always, our good friend Sans Deity. If you would like to have your comment read here on the air, there's some phenomenal comments about mm-hmm. this last episode. Uh, if you want to le- uh, read live here on the air, we cold reading because I, you know, I, I always want to keep it fresh. You can leave a super tip down below in the YouTube comments. Otherwise, just leave your rating and self-sealing stem bolts with a treatise or just a number. We very much appreciate it. So Sans Deity but says... before you start, Keith, yes. mm-hmm. along those lines, it has it always surprises me, but it is not a shock to learn that 
all of our podcasts, including the old David E. Kelly Out of Practice podcast, still have active listeners who are just mm-hmm. catching us much later. We uh, It's easy to assume that the majority of our watches and listens are happening in real time, but that, I know that that's not the case. So if you happen to be listening to this or any of our previous episodes in the future, you can still pop in, leave a ranking or rating. It might not get factored in, but it is important and valuable nonetheless. And we read every single one of them. Yes. We don't 100%. always... We actually have gotten to the point, Keith, where we can't always respond to everybody, but that doesn't mean we're not, we don't see it and we don't appreciate you. We... A hundred... Yes. Yeah. We will, we try to respond as many as we can, but we read every single one of them. I yeah. promise you. All right. So Sans Deity says about Improbable Cause. Improbable Cause is where DS9 is truly born. There have been many episodes that demonstrated many of the elements that make DS9 what it is already. Character arcs, story arcs, moral ambiguity, etc. But this is the first one that feels fully Deep Space Nine. The tone and character work here feels like it could be a season 6 or 7 episode. If I'm not doing a full rewatch of the series, this is one of the episodes I jump to right away. Andrew Robinson showcases why Garrick is my favorite Star Trek character, and only... Al Swearingen and Roland Deschain trump him as fictional characters overall. Ooh, good choices. The verbal sparring between Garrick and Odo is incredible, and those moments are exactly why I love Deep Space Nine and Star Trek. There's so much said and not said between the two, and I was just in awe at seeing two actors performing at the peak of their craft. I absolutely love the scene with Odo and the Flaxian as well. Sure. Odo didn't need to go through the whole charade, but Odo has shown already that sometimes he enjoys pawing at the mouse a little before finishing it off. Rating this one is tricky, because there's just so many great episodes coming up. Mike, uh, FYI, this is something like the 15th best episode of the series, in my opinion. So yeah, strap in. So this will be 93 self-sealing stem bolts. Hell yeah, they are self-sealing. Charlie, you are a good little kitty cat. He is. He's right above me in the window, sleeping it off. Lastly, speaking of shows coming into their own, I've been going through season one of the podcast episode by episode for my fan project, and it's really cool to see the evolution of the show, of our show. And you two have done a great job developing a really fun project. We K&Mers, thank you. Well, we thank you back. Uh, this is, the, it. you know, it's it, we, of course, we're building the show as we go along, and I'm sure the show will be will be a little bit better and a little bit different by the time we get to season seven, but gosh golly, is it fun. It is fun. It's a blast. Keith and I, as longtime viewers of the channel will know, uh, are well, we're very comfortable inside of our own self-deprecation. And so we make fun of ourselves on the show very often, but that's, there are moments when I step back and realize I'm very proud of what we've done. I printed out some posters yesterday, Keith, and I was looking at what we have wrought on my wall. (laughs) And I felt very proud of, and we're still growing, we're still learning, there's still stuff in the pipeline, and it is official, Keith, our podcast empire is the second longest relationship I have ever been in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, we are- We're common law, baby. We are definitely work spouses, no question. No question, so- uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 very proud of what we put together too. So uh, that average is out, folks, to a ninety-two point six, which is almost exactly my ninety-three from last week. So I am the winner. Where did I put it? Uh, you put it at ninety-six point five. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. You sure did. So uh, buckle up, kids. 
All right. It is time. Oh, man. Oh, wait, no. Here we go. I think this is a perfect moment to uh, reveal my... Oh. No, my bag of D&D dice, because we're going to talk about the die is cast. Uh, it was terrible. I was playing with uh, some of my buddies uh, at Broadway Hit Points, and I was... Um, we were just all showing. We hadn't been in person very often, so we were showing each other our dice. And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I bought I bought this one. You know, this set in 1991 at the at this shop." She's like, and uh, she's like, "I wasn't born then." And I was like, "Oh no, I feel terribly yeah, that's, old." That's tough. It's fine though. D and D, it's great, guys. If you if you're not doing it, I highly recommend Baldur's it. Gate Three. If you don't have any friends and you got to play on the PC, it's coming out August third, and uh, it's. About as close as you can get to an actual campaign. So, Keith, there you okay. go. Okay. All right. So, The Die is Cast was aired on May 1st, 1995. We were still listening to Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It. I don't know. I mean, the, the chipmunk versions of all the songs are delightful. My personal choice, I still enjoy making Mike do it. <laughs> this is how we do it. Okay, there we go. If he died. Okay. Okay, there you go. When I think it's, it's funnier he, when I don't know the song. That's when it's I'll it's kick really back. funny when you don't know how to, when you don't know the song. The top movie, I I amazingly continued to be while you were sleeping which amazingly went up in the grosses in its second week and i did some research because i was i was curious after last week because i thought it was ellen degeneres i think i was conflating it with the movie mr wrong which was a romantic comedy she did i think a year after this so it's right in this era um when like ellen was doing like sandra bullock roles very strange anyway uh Mike, if we weren't watching while you were sleeping, or uh, Mr. Wrong, or listening to Montel Jordan, what were we watching on TV? Oh, Keith, I'm so glad you asked. You I'm know, sure you are. Usually it's the normal schnormal, but this week we had some excellent things. So, first things first, we had the ABC was doing the network TV premiere of The Bodyguard, the 1992 classic mm. Whitney Houston joint, Kevin Costner. Can we hear a little? Can we hear uh, a little? And Uh, insert some bad acting. Um, wow, shots fired too wow. soon. Whitney? Ooh. Oh, damn. Kevin Costner's not great in that either. Anyway, all, but that all said, there. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show often, but I one of my sort of obsessions when I was a kid was magic. My dad had taken me to a like a, a, that tracks. a sleight of hand magician when I was a young kid. They pulled me up on stage. I got to do some tricks with them, and ever after that, I was obsessed. Uh, my dad would have to buy me like tr magic tricks to do. We would go to magic museums, all kinds of things. So you can imagine the nineties. You've Keith, never done magic for me. I'm, I'm I am much more into it, uh, watching and being impressed by the performance of it than actually being able to do it. I'm very bad. Mm. I know a couple card tricks and a, you know, I had they bought me the toys because there's not much else you can do. They, I, I much rather would have had a book. Anyway, that all said. So you can imagine the 90s. I was obsessed with the magic, the camp mm. performance of David Copperfield. Yeah. And my ah. favorite David Copperfield uh, 
special. Special. He did a lot of TV he used specials. To do specials a lot at that era. Was one called Unexplained Forces. There are two okay. tricks I remember from this. Uh, three tricks I remember from this. There was a you can only do it on TV one where he's like, okay, touch your screen, touch this number, now subtract seven or blah, 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 blah. It's all oh, a touch manipulation right. one. And it, you know, it's, it always works out that you end up with like whatever the number is. But as a kid, you're like, I was 12 years old. I was like, I guess I was 15, eh, whatever. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. He also did this thing. I was 32. Remember we went to the opening of Slava's Snow Show? Well, I do remember Copperfield that. Yeah. basically did one of those effects where he had just had like snow coming out of his hands. He was like spider webbing snow. Mm -hmm. But he also did this like, make somebody disappear effect that um, was, uh, you know what? It, it was just full of camp and just perf peak Copperfield. And so at the risk of monetization, Keith. Ah, uh, here we go. I present you with this. Oh, that's not it. That's wow. That's... <laughs> wow. Here we go. There it is. Oh, what's in there? Oh, no. It's on fire, Keith. I hope whoever oh. was in there got out. I sure hope so, too. Oh, the camera just so nice. Oh. Ooh. Yes. Oh, there's nobody there. Ooh. But it wouldn't be Copperfield if you didn't get the following beat. Get ready for it. Oh. Oh, Yes. No. Yes. David, yes. the hair, everything. Get ready for it. You got a bend and snap, David. B-roll. Yeah, that's well, awesome. Like, it's if he's not doing it live, hero shot. It's not even magic. Oh, but wait! Now something fl flies. You're mesmerized, wow. aren't you? I, I am. <laughs> oh, I'm the, the shoulders. Oh man. Wow. So uh, thanks to let's see, master your master on YouTube. The whole. Uh, the whole thing is over there on YouTube. You can check it out. It's The Magic of David Copperfield 16 Unexplained Forces from 1995. It I, aired I, that I, night, and I loved it. Wow. Well, Mike, I, I think in honor of this, we're going to need to uh, do shoulder shoulder blue steel for everybody. Okay. Three, All right, two, ready? one. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, I didn't quite catch what you were going for there, but now I got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh well because i was watching you i wasn't looking at the camera whatever it doesn't matter uh all right let's talk about what voyager was doing tonight they were airing the episode cathexis in which chakotay full-on possesses a bunch of people on voyager the week weekly world news headline is uh, we have some candidates these days, but it's the world's biggest baby. A two-year-old weighs a whopping 272 pounds. Oh, my God, I'm two. You it's know, amazing. what's interesting is that born in the USA, a brand new record. I mm -hmm. think they're actually, he wasn't 272 pounds, but that face is actually, I think, the face of that the biggest baby. I mean, it looks like a, little, a, a young Mike and Deglio, to be honest. I wish I still had that hair, but... <laughs> Come on, you have the perfect hair. Mm -hmm. You, you, you are forty something years old, and you have your hair. You have the, like, may we all be so lucky. My mom said her like biggest goal, one of her biggest goals in life, was to keep her own teeth throughout her life. Oh, 
But she's pretty that's much su- done. Yeah. That's such like a uh, like a depression era thought. Like, <laughs> well, be, because like you know, having to have dentures used to be a thing for the, your our parents' parents' generation, but uh, but not anymore. So uh, Mike is uh, is is uh, communicating with his wife, but he doesn't want us no, to hear. She's so not it's probably I was dirty. talking to Google. Find <laughs> Google. It's great. All right, guys, the dies cast was directed. See, I was going to go with the thing, but then it just came out of my mouth. All right, it was directed by David Livingston. This is his first episode since season two, episode 23, crossover. So not the last crossover one we just did, but the first crossover episode. And it was written by Ronald D. Moore, who last wrote on life support. So they brought in the big guns for this one, obviously. I think it is time for some trivial trivia. What do you say? Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. It did. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, look, you know, DS9's firing on all cylinders, and so are we, he says, before everything breaks immediately. Am I recording? (laughs) Yeah, God. (laughs) We've done that before. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, obviously, this is a, a, a turning point for the whole series, and there were some big changes behind the scenes happening as well, because this is the first episode with Ira Stephen Bear as the executive producer, um, and would go on to be the sh- sort of is the showrunner moving forward. And one of the changes that he implemented in this episode and moving forward is to show the space battles on screen rather than off. Mm. Uh, Next Gen did most of their battles off screen because they didn't have the budget to do it. But now, Deep Space Nine does have the budget for it. And we, in this episode, witnessed the largest on-screen battle in Star Trek history up until this point. Uh, So big change there, which we'll obviously uh, play forward as we go. as a way to, but as a way to keep this show on budget, many of the background ships in the battle are only transparencies rather mm. than models. Um, this is not done digitally. All, everything we see here is done practically because they were not doing CG ships yet. Oh, that's um, interesting. I, I thought for sure I saw some digital, but like I guess a lot of that is affected by the upscale that I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. It 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 might be might be a hair, and there's certainly plenty of compositing, but I don't. And, and they had some CG, but all the ships at this point and all mm-hmm. the ship movement, that's all practical. When you say transparency, though, what, do you, what does that mean? I mean, remember like the overhead projector mm-hmm. oh. that they, they would put? So it's literally a, a ship printed on a transparent piece of plastic, and then oh, you light so it from smart. in front and behind. And so what you can't do is move the camera mm-hmm. because it won't be able, it's not 3D, it's 2D. So you have to keep lock the camera and have it moving there so you don't break the illusion because of the lack of 3D nature. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very clever. Very clever. Um, and obviously, they didn't, you know, they're, they're way in the background and you don't linger on them, but that's how they did it. Very cool. Uh, speaking of a lot of these special effects, the shot of the Defiant destroying a Jem'Hadar fighter and flying through, through the debris, today, we could do that on our cell phone in about half an hour. It took them four days to make that shot. Uh, the amount of effort they put into this are ridiculous. 
Uh, Leon Russum, who plays Admiral Todman, also appeared as a Starfleet Chief of Command in Star Trek VI with uh, Rene Aubergenois, if okay. you believe it. All right. Who, uh, when, when we get to Star Trek VI, we're going to be like, we got some familiar people there, maybe with a mustache, uh, which is pretty cool. It took 20 days, 20 days of motion control shooting to complete this episode. So all these battles and the model and the motion, it, they literally spent almost three weeks building those things, which uh, is crazy to think it takes up 30 seconds of screen time, but they put that much effort into it. Um, they really were not messing around. Well, you're setting the table for <clears throat> a war, right? Yeah. Because it, it definitely seems like there's no... The brinksmanship can only continue so far before it be like the match, right? Which yeah, you, you might even say that the die is cast. Right. You can't half-ass the ship battles going forward, right? A war is a war is a war. Yeah. No, nope. and you can't you can't do an entire war off screen. Right. Um, and so it's really exciting to see all of that start to happen. And what Deep Space Nine does with the motion cat with the motion control stuff, which I think is is different, is that it has much more aggressive camera movements. So, you know, when, when we're the camera is tracking Deep Space Nine as it's going through a battle, the camera is sort of following it. Mm. Where in Next Gen, you have, a, you have a static camera and the ships are sort of going by. You're, we're never, like, following a ship through the battle. That's way more complex um, than, than Next Gen could pull off. It's sort of more complex than they did in most of the movies. So that's, that's a Deep Space Nine thing that's new and really exciting. And, you know... Once you're doing it digitally, not that difficult, but optically, oh my God, the amount of work it took just to get that one shot going like that. Amazing. And lastly, this is a, a, mon a monumental episode uh, in one way, Mike, that you don't even know about. A Something is going to change starting next episode that will uh, be important for the rest of the series. We will never go back. It is uh, it is a moment we are all looking for as uh, as fans of the show. This is you the last. You can never go back to before. Yes, theater nerds, you're welcome. Things will change from here on out, and Deep Space Nine will never be the same. It is the thing that we Deep Space Nine fans look forward to and know. That we're really cooking when this shows up. Because this is the final episode of Deep Space Nine before the goatee. Oh, okay. Now it's I got it. A big we're 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 not gonna go bald yet for a few more episodes, but the goatee is coming in. So uh, it doesn't even wait for a season break. He just says, hey. It does, it does not. He uh Basically, I, I think Avery finally wore them down and said, can I please have my goatee? Can I please have my goatee? Uh, but uh, very exciting to see that. I mean, that's on. that's that's legit. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, ever had to do a show. Keith and I are clearly not uh, shaving gentlemen. <laughs> I, don't prefer, I prefer not <laughs> to shave as often as possible. When you have one of those shows where you got to clean shave every day, it's the worst. Worst. It's the worst. Well, also, like, it's it's his iconic look. Mm -hmm. Right, Avery Brooks's iconic look is bald with a goatee, and they they made him shave his goatee and grow hair to look different 
from his iconic look from, you know, the man from Hawk or, or all the other work that he had done. And so, you know, this is when he, they finally he wore them down and said, like, look, this character is now iconic on its own way. I can look like me. Like, people know who this is. So uh, there we are. And it is, you know, like Riker's beard, it is one of those things where, like, okay, here we go. You want to know who's not just okay, Mike, but who is fantastic? And that is our patrons who you can join on patreon.com slash K and M spell up that and and get all sorts of delicious goodies from us. Mike, tell us who's patron in the patron. Keith, it's my joy, my honor and my pleasure every week to read these names because they are the people that fund us and support and produce the show. They get some goodies on the side, but let's just know that they get their honor on these title mm. slides. And that's really, I mean, what else could he ask for? Except from posters or something. Bryant Kimber. <laughs> Kimber? <laughs> Got it wrong right out of the shoot. <laughs> Bryant Kimball Beersock, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious and the mysterious household wars. Big old boot shivs. Charles Babbage, Richard Coleman. CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky, Delusions When at Noon, Steve Brown, YouTube Viewer, JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell with that CRM slash, don't forget Pat, and of course, bring it home, Joshua Cronin. We thank them, we honor them. Keith, dare I say we salute them. Ah, indeed we do. Uh, I'll just say it one more time. Big ol' boot shivs. Yeah, so, much, uh, so many plosives, you, you can't even shake a fist mm -hmm. at it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, speaking of our of our patrons, we left out one of the one of the rankings because the mysterious Anne left it on the patron page. She gave it a 90, gave mm -hmm. uh, last episode a 90, it had some really great comments as well. So if you would like to see uh, Anne's phenomenal analysis of this, you can do it at patreon.com slash K&M and join the conversation. We have our own little private, like, mm -hmm. you know, community here. You know, I've been thinking about Anne lately, Keith, because mm. she made the request to have all of the watch-alongs and all of the podcasts, <clears throat> like, put into her ear holes with the mm -hmm. old, uh, mm -hmm. so I've been, you know, ripping out an MP3 and putting on the, the dedicated patron RSS so you can listen to everything in a stream of consciousness. And I just think her about her walking through her day with earbuds in and just hearing my voice all the time. I don't think that is healthy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but nonetheless, she's going through it. So uh, our, our hearts and thoughts and prayers are out to you. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> well, uh, hopefully you're having a wonderful time uh, going out for a walk, driving to work, whatever you're doing yeah. or while at work, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. Hope you're having a great time. All right. So, uh, now it's time to talk about the guest stars on The Die is Cast, including, of course, Andrew Robinson as Garrick just melting the, uh, the, the say stage, the screen. And we have Leland. Of, sort of melting slash dehydrating Odo, so. A little bit, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, we also have Leland Orser back as Lovak. We saw him before as one of the, uh, the dumb, dumb kids. From the uh, from the flaky lady, mm -hmm. uh, we also have Kenneth Marshall back as Michael Eddington, Leon Russum as Admiral Todman, and of course Paul Dooley 
as Inabrin Tane with Wendy Schenker as the Romulan pilot. Okay, everybody stretch. I know a lot of people have been anticipating this. It is now time to head into the screening room and talk about The Die is Cast. Okay, in our teaser, Bashir is babbling about the state of playwriting while O'Brien is ignoring him and eating his breakfast. He doesn't he does make an interesting observation that human playwrights are just adapting IP from other planets just like we Americans spend a lot of time adapting the IP of other cultures and vice versa. The uh Mike do you know how many adaptations of the office there are? Counting like the weird parodies and stuff? I mean, no, like full television shows of The Office. Imagine we did one, Brynn did one. Imagine there's at least two others. I'd say four. There's, I think there's like ten. Oh, jeez, okay. All over the place. So uh, it's it's crazy. Now, Keith, um, also, cool, a cool little... Am I wrong in remembering that the beginning of the first episode was Garrick and Bashir and Garrick lamenting the state of uh, American theater? And being annoyed that Bashir was rushing through and not having the conversation. Sweet. Where now Bashir wants to have the conversation with O'Brien and O'Brien doesn't want to. So, uh, of course, these two things dovetail beautifully. Uh, Bashir calls out O'Brien for not participating in the conversations because, of course, he's missing his usual lunch date with Garrick. And he's concerned because Garrick and Odo are still missing. Um, so we're we are obviously right there in the story, and understandably, he's pretty concerned. Keith, what do Bashir's lunch and a TLC hit have in common? Hold on. I uh, I, I soup I, 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 soup doop soup Thanks, everybody. Patreon.com slash K and M. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know there's probably a lot of new viewers popping in for this episode specifically. Oh, uh, so you're if, welcome. If you've been scouring the internet for soup puns, well, let me tell you, you've you've hit the jackpot. The slotted soon doesn't catch much soup, but it does catch the potato. Uh. All right. <laughs> they are interrupted with Kira calling O'Brien to ops. And on ops... They watch in shock as a Romulan warbird decloaks. Then a Cardassian ship decloaks, and the Cardassians have never had cloaking technology before. Then, uh-oh, an entire fleet of ships decloak. Cisco immediately declares red alert and battle stations, assuming this is going to be an attack on the station. But then all the ships turn and head for the wormhole. So we have wasted no time getting into it. Uh, I think that's a hell of a teaser if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I mean, why wait, right? Yeah, and I like that they don't keep keep they don't keep us our our main cast in suspense. They 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 know because we obviously we knew at the at the at the last scene of last week what the plan was, and now we're starting to see those fruit. Yeah, yeah, and we don't need to like go through a whole thing of the. We will see them discover it, but mm-hmm. that's not like the whole. Uh, the whole thing. So 
very, very cool. So, uh, in Act 1, on the Romulan ship... Mimosas! Mimosas, uh, definitely. I mean, if I'm going to go... If I'm about to uh, go and wipe out a civilization and start an intergalactic war, like, you got to start with mimosas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Garrick and Tane discuss the good old days and what they plan to do back in power. We hear that Garrick's specialty is interrogation and that he once got a confession without even touching the suspect, just stared at him with those Garricky eyes until he confessed. I thought this scene was, and I have a, a really good emotional touch point for it. You ever break up with somebody, not, not mm -hmm. a pretty one, maybe one of those ugly breakups, and then uh -huh. a good period of time goes by, and you have that first, hey, you want to meet up for lunch, and conversation is a little strained there's it's hard to make eye contact there's definitely some hurt emotions down there deep but you're trying to pretend there aren't that everything's fine mm -hmm. everything's great life's doing going great this scene <laughs> gave me all of those vibes yeah yeah no for sure it's like a or like a family member you had conflict with and it's like and because like the whole conversation is about the past and how mm -hmm. we're you know interpreting the past differently and how and we're and we're like we're, we're, we're testing, we're prodding to see, like, is this hot button thing something we can talk about yet? Have you changed your opinion on anything yet? Are you still in the same place? Like, where are we at? It's a, I think it's a fantastic scene. And I think this is one of those, those times where it's really smart in that, because sometimes, you know, you write an episode and you let the audience know more than the characters. So you're, you're watching to see how mm -hmm. they figure it out. And other times, they know you don't know and you're watching to solve the mystery. In this, we, they there are unknowns on all sides. We don't yeah. know if Garrick actually didn't uh, betray him or not. Just like he keeps saying he didn't, Paul Dooley pretend, kind of tame, kind of pretends right. to believe him. And we also know that he did try to kill him, but didn't try to kill him. We don't know if Garrick's playing along or if he really, on that handshake, he really did, is in agreement and working for him again. So we, there's so much we don't know and they don't right. really know. So it's there's we, a lot of tension. Yeah, well, we, we don't, yes. There's like so many different motivations. We're not clear. And honestly, they don't trust each other. And, but they and desperately so, want to. They want to, yeah. And, and it's like, it's really unclear what Garrick's full motivations are here. I don't think it's, really a major plot uh, intention point of the episode, but it is interesting that, and Odo counts in this, that people in this type of work, the subterfuge line of work, espionage type work, it's a very lonely existence. And I see yeah. a lot of the reaching out for somebody to talk to, right? Yeah, connection. And, you know, and especially if you're, if you're in deep undercover, you're in the CIA, you can't talk to... You know, talk about hardly anything that you're actually going through and thinking and doing with anybody but another handful of people who are also in the, you know, it's it's like, you know, back before we cared about security clearances or, or back when we cared about security clearances and stuff where you couldn't mm -hmm. just like, hey, look at this <clears> thing. Uh, you had to be really careful. And so you the only person you could talk to about this wildly important thing in your life is somebody that you might not like and might not trust. So you're sort of forced to have some connection there. So Tane points out that Garrick had a particularly vicious streak back in the day. They talk about old enemies, including, uh, you know, very casually, this guy named Ducat. And Tane says, eh, you can kill him whenever you want when we get back. 
And uh, Garrett brings up Mila, Tane's housekeeper, whom we met last episode. Tane says, oh, I'm going to kill her because she knows too much. And Garrick subtly tries to spare her because they were fond of each other and perhaps because she believed that Garrick didn't betray Tane and Cardassia. And it's also clear that Tane likes Mila too, but is not sure what to do. But he still believes that Garrick betrayed him. Uh, the whole scene features a lot of close-ups of the Cardassian makeup, and it's really terrific. Though we do see a seam in Garrick's forehead, mm-hmm. uh, like you can see on the screen here, but perhaps that's a scar. Could, uh, could be lots of things. The Mila bit is really fascinating to me because they do not resolve it in this episode. Mm-mm. They just kind of plant the seed here. I, I'm curious to know, Keith, no facial spoilers, <clears throat> whether we, we get back to it, but it definitely seems like she's important to both of them, specifically Garrick here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Garrick clearly has a connection and, and cares for her. And she also, I mean, there's obviously a connection there with Tane. And Garrick calls Tane out. It's like, you're looking for an excuse not to kill her, uh, which Kane doesn't necessarily acknowledge either way. Um, but it's a great two-hander scene from a play. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole thing could totally be a play. The performances are so damn good because every single line is subtext. Yeah. Like the every single line is about something else, and there is great patience from the direction, giving them time to do storytelling while they drink, silently. So we we literally stop the scene, have them drink silently to digest everything that's going on, and then continue. Um, it is very much out of a play, and I I loved it. So uh, then a Romulan shows up. And he's shot from the floor to make him look more imperious. And a lot of the stuff on the Romulan ship is shot from the floor. Um, Dutch angle, I believe, Mm -hmm. is what JD said. Um, Which is uh, pretty cool. He asks about Garrick. What's this guy doing here? And Tane vouches for him. He announces that the fleet has recloaked and is headed for the Founder's homeworld at Warp 6. And Garrick, again... Garrick is real smart, immediately notices that that's, that's pretty slow. Why are we going so slow? And uh, the Romulan admits that if they go any faster, they could be detected by the Jem'Hadar even when cloaked. Um, so, you know, always, regardless of what Garrick's long-term motivations are in this, you know, is he with Tane? Is he not with Tane? Is he, is he undercover? Is he double undercover? What's going on here? He's always just picking up little pieces of intelligence. Yep. Uh, That's he's, he's like a vacuum cleaner, right? Whether yeah. it's useful or not, I'm just picking up scraps. I'll decide what to do with them later. And, you know, and and sometimes it's not he's overt with it. And sometimes he just pokes, poke, 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 poke to see if something falls. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and he does so subtly, but like he he saves everything. He's got every receipt. So Tane then tells Garrick go interrogate Odo for information on his people. And Garrick says, you know, that might be pretty hard. And Tane says, eh, torture him. So Garrick arrives in Odo's quarters where he's being held. Garrick points out it's nicer than a prison cell, though Odo does not see much of a difference. I think it might be a redress of the bunk room from uh, uh, on the Defiant. Mm. Because you can see those bunks. It looks like they put a they put something in front of the bunks that they already had. Whatever it was, still looked cool. And I loved the 
the grating on the ceiling there. Especially, and they had to, because so much of this episode is shot from the Dutch angle, they had to build out the ceiling for all of these sets because we see the ceiling on almost all the shots. Now, this is a great scene to follow the previous scene because as I mentioned, the previous scene, a bunch of unknowns, right? Nobody knows anything. In this scene, everybody knows everything and we're just pretending we don't. Right, right, right. That's right. You're, you're either playing smart or playing dumb, but you're never playing eye to eye, which is really interesting. Although Odo's technique here is to sort of like break the fourth wall of Garrick's game that he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Odo gives off a sense of betrayal, and Garrick sarcastically points out that I never made any sort of declaration to the Federation, and you and I are not friends. Yeah, the sarcasm here is actually really thick, and I appreciate it, because it's true. What does what anybody... I mean, Garrick has been a, a scudge the whole time, but wh- he never made... You know, they, they had a tentative alliance for this mission, but he didn't make any promises. Yeah, and, like, he's he's never... He has never pledged allegiance to the Federation. He's he's certainly not been friends with Odo, and, and like, it, it's all fair points. Nor has Odo been, like, the most uh, upstanding, the warm ethical, and fuzzy uh, with Garrick. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he's not exactly like buddy-buddies either. Um, so Odo says, you're wasting your time. And I can tell you feel guilty, and you don't want Tane to find out that you feel guilty. Again, poke that fourth wall. Try to try to needle. Try to They're just like poke, poke, poke at each other, uh, which continues the work from last episode. So uh, Garrick tries to get Odo to talk about the Founders, calling them common enemies. Minoto says, the only common enemy we both share is a Nobrin Tane. The difference between you and I is you don't know it. Great line. And uh, so Garrick says, think over what I said. And Odo says, ditto. Uh, so it's the first, the first attack there. Um, again, two phenomenal actors. The writing is just so tight. Um, and just like the thumb wrestling mm-hmm. between the two of them and the just like the power shift, power shift, power shift. That's the it's it is really cool. I mean, they're 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 doing ping pong with who's who's has the power in the scene uh, every single line back and forth. I think the well, it's not he's a prisoner, but at least in Odo's case, he only has to play one face or what wear one mask whereas Garrick is really having to try to bluster a few different people concurrently yeah and we because because he has to be one thing to tame as another thing to Odo and then the third thing is like where is he where is the actual Garrick in this I don't know I think I think Robinson does a great job giving us enough tools to to come up with some hypothesis hypotheses but I don't know that we know or that we will. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, that's that's Garrick. The whole like the whole big picture of Garrick is perpetually wondering when is he telling the truth? When is the lie? When is the lie the truth? And and what is he? What does he want? What is his deal? What are the vulnerabilities that we're seeing from him? Actual vulnerabilities or are they tools to manipulate us? Mm-hmm. Um fascinating so back on the station our heroes including eddington who's back oh wait, watch- hold on that brings up a question i had real quick yeah is he st- i can't remember how that episode shook out is he still addicted to that drug or being held prisoner by that like dopamine 
drug he had on the station. Remember the... Oh, oh, you mean Garrick? Yes, Garrick. Oh, yeah, like Eddington? Like, <laughs> Eddington's had a dark past I wasn't yeah. aware of. Uh, no, he 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 got off of the drug. That was like, he went through his, all of his withdrawal and survived. So he, he he's on DS9 now, fully sober, clean. clean, and just an outcast. An outcast and in with all, all of that pain and discomfort and misery that he's going through, now he's he's living it clean um, that we know of. Cool. So yeah, so that, I mean, that I think explains a lot of why he's so drawn to this again. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, so the, uh, our heroes watch a decrypted message from Tane back to the Cardassian government. Tane explains that the Jem'Hadar can only get their drug, uh, from the founders. And if the, uh, he expects them all to wither and die once the founders are wiped out. But he does expect the Jem'Hadar, after the founders are wiped out, to attack before they die. So be on guard. And he also says, I do this for Cardassia because the Cardassian state has failed. The Cardassians' peace with the Federation and Bajor have blinded you to the real threat. Um is not necessarily wrong and the Starfleet Admiral explains that a similar message was sent to the Romulan government by the Tal Shiar and both the Romulan government and the Cardassian government's prime are uh, like oh no don't do that but they're really just planning to wait it out to see if the plan works and uh, Kira points out to the Admiral that's that's probably uh, and they're you know that they're both kind of hoping that they succeed. And probably the Federation is too. But they've got a plan for the worst. So he tells them to evacuate Deep Space Nine of everyone but essential personnel and have the Defiant on high alert. Cisco, understandably, asks for permission to take the Defiant through the wormhole and try to rescue Odo. And permission denied. And their objective is to protect Bajor. So after they get off the call, Cisco confirms with Eddington that there are nine Federation ships headed to Deep Space Nine to protect Bajor with the Defiant. Then, of course, Cisco announces, We're going rogue. I'm going to try to rescue Odo anyway. And he points out that having the Defiant on the other side of the wormhole will give them advance warning of a possible Jem Hadar attack using the communications relay we set up in Destiny, i.e. nothing that happens doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Everything matters. Um, and that's an important communications relay. And uh, if we find them and they're coming at us, we can fight to slow them down if it happens and give warning. I think all of that makes perfect sense. Yeah, all of that scene was really excellent because I think that, once again, what Deep Space Nine does that I really appreciate is that it's not just Starfleet's not always acting heroically. Sometimes they're playing the waiting game or the pacifism, not pacifism. What's the, the word? Pragmatic appeasement, appeasement yeah. really. Uh, or just they'll kind of let them blow each other up and get rid of the threat. And uh, we, yeah. you know, Oh no, they blow each other up. And then also, like you said, the, the message that Tane sends to the, the Cardassians and the Romulans it, is, it all kind of makes sense, right? In a, in a, in not, a sort not of way. without merit. 
And so there's so much at play and so many different uh, moves on the chessboard that it's just fascinating. It's not just pew pew, good guys, bad guys. You know, we're really going for it. Yeah, and and that everybody's motivations make sense, um, and all of them, and and the tactics make sense, and and it is really unclear whether or not we're rooting for them to succeed or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're clearly bad guys, but they're also fighting other bad guys, and it's... and what I think this transmission, that little little video monologue from Tane, plants a small teeny seed that I didn't even catch on watch through, but now thinking through it towards the end. It's also planting the seed of, okay, well, he definitely is delivering that as if he's a war hero, right? You guys don't have the Mm -hmm. strength to do this, so I am doing it. But as you and I had mentioned about leaders a few weeks ago on a a podcast somewhere, as all we do is talk to each other, you know, to be a president or to be a leader or to be someone in that kind of political power making those types of decisions, you have to have a well of, if not a very deep well of, hubris, yeah. And that hubris, if not checked, can lead you to, well... The we'll inevitable s- conclusion. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, all of these storylines are, are, you know, they're, they're classic storytelling, but it's all, it's so tight. It's all so interconnected. It's so much fun. So uh, Cisco's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to go rogue. So we, this is a volunteer mission. Uh, but before, and I love how he says, like, before you hop on board, let's know two things. One, uh, we're probably all going to die. And two, if we make it back, we're probably going to be court-martialed. So uh, we're leaving in two hours. Let's see who shows up. Come on. Nobody it, gets in trouble for stealing I mean, a ship. Of course. So act two, of course, everyone is on the Defiant and ready to go. As they decide uh, Even to that ignore... Ed- Ed- Edelman is his name? Yes. Eddington. He, how long has he been with us? Well, he came in at the beginning of the season. Okay, but he's just been kind of around and about. We, we, he's yeah, he's been off screen for most of it. You don't, you think that here's like one of my, I don't, it's not wormhole style, but isn't Ben a little curious why that, like all his his OGs come right? He, those are the guys you expect come on this mission. People who knew yep. Odo or like our OG team, and then and then that guy, like, isn't it weird that he just took court martial death mission? Well, but there are also other Starfleet officers that we haven't seen on screen on the ship. It, it, it's not, there's like six people on the ship. They have a full complement of people. So like, um, you know, there there are plenty of other Starfleet officers. We're just not seeing them. Shouldn't you leave a couple of like pretty competent people back just in case shit hits the fan? Well, Quark's there. Oh, well, and, that, and Rom, you know. And Quark and Rom, and yeah. you got all the Ferengis there. Yeah, cool. You've, that... got, you've got some Davo girls. Like, they'll, they'll protect it. No, no problem. Okay, okay. okay cool. <laughs> I'm sure they have a competent AI. Yeah, but they ought to at this point. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a fair point, and obviously it's going to play out the way it plays out. Um, but, I mean, he's he's been on the station for like a year. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've, had, they've had some time to figure out what's, what's going on with that guy. Um, they uh, decide to ignore the Admiral's order again. Um, hey. Because the message is garbled. Keith, in a new segment yeah. called Non Sequitur Star Trek. Mm-hmm. What's up with money? Do we get paid? Like, do we get paid to be a Starfleet officer? Like, are they, what's the compensation structure look like for these cats? <sighs> you know, that is, boys, talk about opening up a, uh, a can of wormholes. Um, so. 
Federation does not have money, right? So we are a post-commerce uh, world on the Federation planets. However, obviously, many other species do have money. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Federation gives its officers sort of credits like petty that cash? they can sort of use as money, even though they call it credits, even though it's definitely money. But yeah, there's people don't really there really isn't money on earth so um, but so they need it out in the real world this bonus death mission there's no kickback for this no there's 100 percent no kickback okay. for this um so the you know the the utopian idea is that all of our needs are met we don't need uh but money but quarks get paid when we have a mimosa after work yes yes in some fashion so there clearly is money it's it's a little bit of a, like, we had the utopian idea of not having money, and then as we did, as we spun out episodes and seasons of shows, we're like, we need to have something. This doesn't make any sense. So there's some sort of a something, but they're not getting, like, a paycheck. Okay, okay. That explains it. So, uh, anyway, we see, actually, go back one, because we see a really cool composite shot this this shot right here of Kira and Cisco both in focus despite being at oh, very yeah. different depths. So that's that's two shots composited together to get them both in focus here. Um, it was cool. Like it's a very unique, mm -hmm. very unique shot. Eddington is there, but looks a bit uncomfortable. And the ship takes off and heads to the wormhole. We hear an exciting militaryish version of the theme song, and they uh, they head on out. They get to the other side, cloak, and warp off at or head off at warp eight to the founder's planet. And we know this will probably allow them to overtake or even beat the Cardassian Romulan fleet. Um, because I don't know if you know, Mike, but the warp factors uh, are exponential. So it's it's not a straight line warp one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's it's sort of like a like a curve. So if they're like at that. six to keep their cloak and we're at eight. So nine. like eight is is like pretty fast. much faster than six, um, so it, it does work on some sort of like a whatever you call that. <laughs> I didn't. I haven't taken math since junior year in high school. And folks, if you're counting at home, that was 1997. Nonlinear curve. Sure, I think an exponential curve. I don't know. Whatever. I know that so, a line that gets to the top but never quite touches it is called an, called an asymptote. For some reason, mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. So there you go. So, uh, on the Rom... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, on the Romulan ship, we find out that the Founder's planet is, as we know, in the Omerian Nebula, and there are no Jem'Hadar bases within seven hours. And their plan is to blow it up from space. And it's going to take about five hours to destroy the planet by uh, pew-pewing from the fleet. Uh, but Tane know, wants to know if there are any planetary defenses they don't know about, which would make a fair fair question, and tells Garrick to get this information out of Odo. And there's a bit of a tense standoff between also, Garrick and... Also, can't they just, like, goo up and be gooed, and then you can't shoot goo? Or are I they trying to can... light the atmosphere and, like, just blow them up that way? They're basically just nuking the entire planet until it blows up, like... You 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 can you can like goo around a sword, but it's hard to <laughs> ungoo around a nuke. So that's Keith's well, that's go. Keith's review of Barbenheimer. 
<laughs> so there's a tense standoff between Garrick and Tane. Garrick says that, look, Odo doesn't have any information, and I can't even torture him because he's a shapeshifter. And Tane says, well, there's only one way to find out. Plus, we've got this device that can uh, take care of the shapeshifting part. And Tane threatens to turn the interrogation over to the Romulans. But Garrick, who doesn't want to do it, says, I'll do it because you wouldn't trust me if I didn't. And this is Tane's gambit to find out if Garrick can be trusted. So on the Defiant, all of a sudden, something goes wonky and the ship decloaks. And we see Eddington looking uncomfortable in the foreground. If the Jem'Hadar see them, they're going to have to fight their way out. That's bad. Take, yeah, that's not good. Not good. You don't want to be uh, uh, decloaked in uh, in the uh, uh, Jem'Hadar space. So in Act 3, we can't figure out what happened until Eddington just announces that I sabotaged the cloak under direct orders from the Admiral. He assumes that now that we're decloaked, we have to go back to the station. Everybody is pissed. But he says, I was given orders by the Admiral. Uh, I don't know what you expect me to do. And he did slip up and say what part of the cloak he broke. Mm. So Cisco tells O'Brien he has two hours to fix it. Was that a slip up or was that not? Interesting question. Uh... Cisco plans to confine Eddington to quarters, but he says, look, you need me if we get attacked. I give you my word, I'll do my job. And Cisco is pissed, but he takes a Federation officer at his word. I mean, he did follow the Admiral's order, so now that I've already followed that order, now I can follow your orders. I mean, it, yeah. he's got a little and, worm, and, he's got a loophole. Well, right, and and I think Cisco's Cisco's take on this is, is really interesting because... Um, he un- he, he's obviously angry, but he also understands the position that Eddington was in, mm-hmm. right? You know, he was given a direct order by an admiral superseding his thing. And like, yeah, I asked us to go on a thing like, ah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to come down on him too hard because that is technically his job. He made an oath to follow the orders and the order might have been go along with the mission, but sabotage it. Mm-hmm. And sort of like go undercover a little bit. So I'm going to make an assumption because mm-hmm. otherwise it, it I don't like where the supposition goes that he let this decloak happen when he was he was assured that there were no Jem'Hadar around currently or that they were far enough out that they could turn back and get out without being noticed. Because if you just decloak yeah. an open space and there's baddies around, aren't you putting everyone in massive danger? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I think he was very intentionally doing it before they got in yeah got into danger and we can turn around and like no harm no foul i believe that was the plan uh so anyway garrick goes back to continue interrogating odo some romulans come in with him and set up a device garrick points out hey you know it's time for odo to regenerate in liquid form and he says look if you don't start talking i'm gonna have to do something i was hoping to avoid Odo is not impressed, and Rene gives an amazing take. Oh, you're going to torture me, aren't you? Uh, such a great take. The Romulans leave, leaving just the two of them. Odo says, that's dumb. I could kill you in an instant. He's like, but uh, not with this Boppet toy. 
No. Because I can you... bop it, flick it, twist it. Twist it, yeah. <laughs> but Garrick explains that the bop it toy will prevent Odo from changing form at all. Odo tries and sees that it's true. And he's now scared for the first time in this endeavor. And I imagine that not being able to change has got to be really unsettling. So it's different, very different than the time when he was with Major Barrett and he didn't change, right? Because he's embarrassed. And so he's holding right. on. There's a difference between that and physically not being able to do the chemical gooing or whatever. Right, right. Because I, 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 I think like, we're at we're like past that stage now. Mm -hmm. um, actually, we're, which is we're really cool. It that. seems like they've thought through the science pretty interestingly because he has to liquefy, right? But he can. So they do this whole sort of what seems to me like a dehydration type of thing, which is that's why he's flaky and stuff. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's Although that's... riddle me this. Okay. If we've if we're facing the founders, right? Mm -hmm. They're our major threat, and we are developing a technology that works that can Prevent them from degooing, which seems to be a pretty important life force. Isn't this like the ramifications of this weapon gigantic? Well, it depends on whether you can scale it up. Yeah, that's fair. Guess it's, right. it's and, working with one dude right now. And and as we find out, where are the founders? You got the weapon. What are you gonna do with it? It's true. It's good. So point. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they don't know where they're. The founders are. Founders are like thirty steps ahead of you at all times. Uh, as we will find out. So, uh, anyway, you know, I was I, I, not to get too far into it, but like Odo's fear here of being of not being able to uh, to change. I think about um, trauma work, and that one of the most traumatic things we as a species can be are confined and restrained. And this has got to be like being tied down, being being restrained in a very, very horrible way, which is why it is so specifically traumatic to Odo to not be able to change. So uh, Garrick asks, hey, so what happens when a changeling can't revert to liquid form? And also, Odo, do we know, have we ever addressed, do they die? Can they die? We don't know. Don't know. Uh, as is Odo's answer to what happens when you can't regenerate. And uh, Garrick asks, what do you know about the founders that you haven't said yet? Odo says, nothing. Garrick points out, that's not true. You and I are very alike. We both value our secrets, and we both hold things back. And Garrick says, I can wait. The question is, can you? So we head to the Defiant, and we find out it's been three hours, and the cloak hasn't been fixed, and they're all getting antsy. Uh, but this is just a way to pass time, because we head back immediately to Odo's cell. Yeah, it seemed felt like filler. There's no reason oh. Kira would want to go help, and there's no reason why Ben would stop her from doing so. It's just clearly a filler scene. Well, you needed you needed to, to, to pass time. Yeah. Like, that's just structurally you need it. Um so, uh, back in Odo's cell, he's starting to deteriorate rapidly. He's starting to flake off and shake. It is quite horrific. It is horrific. It is absolute horror movie. I wonder if it was anybody else. Because he's giving me full Robert Englund here, right? Like, he's giving me yeah. the full Kruger. I w or, and, and right here, Jack Skellington, it turns out. Uh, is... 
any is is a lesser actor is this hokey? You know what I mean? Do is it is it Renee that's selling this? The selling the makeup, or is it just is it both? Is it a great combination? I, it's hard to tell. I personally think it's both. Yeah, I I think this. I think the makeup and the incorporate and like the amazing detail that his uniform is also flaking because he doesn't have not a only uniform, that, it's but him. Yeah, check it out. Too. Oh, smart! I didn't even think about that. I was gonna say it looks big now because he's like shrinking inside of it. But it, you're right; it's it's all part of the goose. So it's, it's like it's, can't hold it's its him. Shape. It's not fabric. It's yeah. still him, and it's all his hair. It's his skin. It's his everything. Um, yeah, I mean that make. I, I actually think the makeup effect is phenomenal and terrifying. And I didn't think much about it at all, to tell you the truth, because I just was so invested in what he was bringing. In Odo's, yeah. yeah. And, and and Renee's ability to to sell that agony through all of that makeup. Yeah, it was I epic. Mean, well, because he, he pointed out that, like, he, he goes, he went into his Shakespearean training. Yeah, like, this is, sense. like, full Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, so, uh... Very Chekhov experiential. Yeah. Odo tells Garrick... Uh, he must be thrilled to be torturing again. And Garrick just wants him to tell him what he needs to do. Odo collapses in agony. And Garrick says, this is my duty. It's not personal. Look at that shot. Uh And uh, as we see the agony escalate, Garrick starts to panic. And he literally gets down on the floor and begs him to tell him something, anything. Lie if you have to. Just tell me something. And uh, I think this is the moment where Garrick loses his subtext. This is just, we see his actual true feelings in this moment. Except we, I, I don't know that I'm satisfied with what, his motivation is as I'll get to, I, I kind of want to hold it for wormholes, but what Garrick's motivation is. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll plant the wormhole. Now we can we'll just deal with it. It's, it's important. Cause this is the only one I have. Well, let, well, I, let's talk about it now then. Okay. So we can, we can, so I can fix it before we yeah. keep talking. So I understand if he's like, just tell me something, anything, right? Because if, right. if someone's looking over his shoulder and they can only end the interrogation, if he gives him a piece of it, Intel, that's right. That's right. But that's not the case, right? As we know, because he does give him something, but then he goes instantly and tells Tane he gave me nothing. And so clearly there was no check on his balance there, right? Mm. So why continue the interrogation to get that intel unless you did want to get something from Odo? Is it that Odo's thing of I just miss my, I want to be with my people, which Garrett can understand and so that satisfies Garrick? Or does Garrick actually have bloodthirst here? Does he think maybe he's being watched? Like, what is happening in this moment? Why not just say, if he's going to end up telling Tane he gave me nothing, mm-hmm. just end it early. Unless he's still got a little bit of old Garrick in him. Oh, I think it's all of the above. Okay. I think uh, Garrick really, his own ego wants him to get something. Mm. Right? I think he also... Is in agony about doing this to Odo. I think he. I think he genuinely is horrified that he's doing this to Odo. I also think he probably does think he's being watched, and probably you know, and 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 doesn't know, but assumes he probably is, and knows that he has to definitely make sure he gets something, so that when he goes to Tane and says, "I got nothing," I think that's step one. 
that he's got this thing in his back pocket that he, you know, again, Garrick is never going to give you information unless he has to. And in this situation, I think he doesn't want to from a tactically holding off on information, but also emotionally, because he doesn't, this isn't something that's relevant and he doesn't want to, you know, reveal his friend's secret because he identifies with it. Mm -hmm. I think if Tane had said, uh, I don't believe you, we're checking the tapes, then he would have been, he said this. Mm-hmm. Right? Actually, it's, it's, it's good. I, yeah, I guess that works. I guess that fixes it for me. I, I Also, what's revealed here is interesting because, you know, you know, Keith, in therapy, something, a secret, let's say, that or something you don't like to talk about because you're, you're really embarrassed about it to your core. Yeah. And then once you kind of say it, you realize it doesn't really have as nearly as much power as I thought it did. I wonder what what the shame is in the secret here for for Odo. Is it? Oh, I mean, I understand it on his part, but I'm wondering, like, is it a useful tool? I mean, I guess you could perhaps you could exploit that, right? If you're an enemy, you'd be pretty easy to exploit that and maybe manipulate him to get you closer to the founders. I mean, so I guess it is. It does oh, hold oh, some power. Oh, absolutely. But but also like think about who the founders are to all of his friends and family and to himself. Mm-hmm. Like they're the bad guys. Right. So like an, an analogy for us, like let's say your whole family is in the clan, mm-hmm. right? And you're, you're here in New York and you're a normal person and you have a diverse set of friends and like, you're so embarrassed and ashamed of the way your family thinks and behaves. But secretly, I miss Thanksgiving. You miss, you miss your family. Yeah. And you want to go home, and you hate that they do. You hate that they do that. You hate that they are that. But you want to go home. That's not something I would want to reveal. Yeah, and it does give a lot of weight to when the multiple times he's been propositioned to come home, and he has to. Of course, yeah. I mean, the 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 push pull, and I think all of us with complicated relationships with our families feel that push pull. Obviously, at a much smaller scale right. than this. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, people, we are just genetically primed to want to go home and when our families are the bad guys that's really complex and these feelings are intensely personal and shameful and private at least in their own heads there um so yeah and it's exactly the same as how garrick feels what is garrick doing right he's trying to go home to his family that's shitty and he has all sorts of complex feelings about it like these two things are absolutely dovetailing the exact same thing is happening at the exact same time and i think that's why garrick doesn't want to tell anybody about it because that's his feeling too he understands so well what odo is describing here the shame but the the attraction and the shame to the attraction and the one that and all of that you know i'm fixing it for myself too now i'll wait till we get to that beat i'll wait till we get to that beat yeah okay so he goes up anyway so he uh So Odo finally breaks and confesses that he wants to return home to his people and to the Great Link. He tried to deny it and forget it, but he can't. He wants to be with his people. Garrick knows this is the secret that he's holding back. And he understands why he would hold this back, because he's got the same damn thing. And Odo says, I hope it's useful. So Garrick rushes to turn off the device and release Odo into his bucket. And he sits and holds his head in his hands. Ugh. Heartbreaking scene. So in Act 4, 
On the Defiant, O'Brien has finally fixed the cloak, and they head off to the Founder's Planet at maximum warp. On the Romulan ship, Garrick lies and tells Tane that he never broke and didn't give up anything. Tane says, okay, kill him. There's the beat, right? This is a great flippy floppy, because I think if your goal is I want to save Oda, right? He's my buddy. I don't want to torture him anymore. Yeah. Then obviously by saying he didn't give me anything yet, buys you time. In your head, you're thinking, okay, they can't kill him yet then because he might still have something. So maybe this will save him. Unfortunately, he is foiled and has to kind of improvise. But that is another reason why he might at least test the waters of not giving up something. Sure. Yeah. No, that's actually a very good point. If he's just trying to buy time. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Uh, But Garrick points out that Odo still has value as a member of the Bajoran militia and as a security officer on the station. And the Romulan says, you know what? We'll take him. We might not kill all the founders today, and it would be good to keep experimenting on him. Uh, Very good points. Both of those great points. And Tane says, yeah, sure. They get a notice, a notification from their Google Maps, that they're 15 minutes away. The attack is at hand. Then, after Tane leaves, the Romulan mysteriously pulls Garrick aside and asks why Garrick was trying to protect the changeling. He can tell that Garrick has a personal interest in Odo. And he says, I can tell you're up to something, and I'm going to be watching you. So the ramifications of this scene, given the endgame, mm. oh man, it's it's kind of, I bet you even as a writer it sucks, because you're like, oh, there's so much good stuff happening in this tete-a-tete that the audience won't even know until the end. Because really... Yeah. If you oh, if you find about subtext. out your enemies, right, the people you're trying to wipe out, are actually sympathetic to your people who you thought you were painting with a broad brush that everybody just wanted to kill you or everybody was a threat, then oh crap, that's that's definitely to be, that is a consideration, because yeah. because we don't actually know. I mean, we do, but we know that the founders' methods are nefarious and, and yeah and brutal and brutal. But we don't know that they're what their general thesis they're working under is. Is it that everybody's yep. evil, right? Would they change their no. mind if they found out that clearly we know there are sympathetic humans, right? But anyway, it just right. adds a lot of context. Well, and and again, color. Why, why is Deep Space Nine the best? It's because the founders' motivations are not unreasonable. They've been persecuted for thousands of years and they become really scared of other people they became powerful because they want to protect themselves they think everyone is a threat to them they're not trying to conquer they're not trying to create an empire they just think that everyone's a threat they've given everybody fair warning they've set up their boundaries you know i'm drawing a lot of parallels recently to you know though i'm not loving or, or sold on the una character over in strange new worlds it is interesting that a lot of the political theater around her story and Odo's story is very similar, right? They both were sort of experimented on, shunned by these people who are now, and then they want to become, instead of taking the easy tact of being like, well, I, then I hate those people and I want to cause them harm, they want to join, they want to be a part of and try to make it better from the inside, which is yeah. either noble or foolhardy, I guess, depending on the way you want to look at it. Uh, but that's life. Yeah. That's 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 Deep Space Nine, right? That's the whole thing. It's it's really really cool. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, yeah. So after, uh, so they get to the bridge, and the planet is in sight. And they detected the liquid life forms on the planet. They're all set to go. They all open fire. The planet gets blasted. But something's wrong. They destroyed 30% of the crust on the planet, but the life form numbers haven't changed. Garrick immediately realizes that the planet is deserted, and there's something there showing them false readings. Then uh, some ships come out of the nebula, Jem'Hadar ships, 150 of them. What do we have, like 12 ships, 20 ships? 20. 20 versus 150. Not good. Uh, Mike, do do we do you have one in the chamber? From Star Wars, the iconic meme. It's a trap. Uh huh. It's a trap. Uh, and we uh, we begin the battle. So in Act Five, like I said, the attack begins, and the Jem Hadar start wiping out the Cardassian Romulan Romulan fleet right and left. On the bridge, stuff is blowing up all over the place. Garrick says, we gotta leave. The main Romulan takes command and says, no, we gotta stand and fight. Uh, And looking back uh, later, when we find out who that is, we understand why they Mm -hmm. need to stand and fight and not retreat. Then he uh, disappears to go into engineering, leaving Tane in charge. More explosions and fire. Um... Really, they really blew up this yeah. this set. They went for it. Really cool. Practical explosions, practical fire. Yes. The works. Uh, Garrick can smell what the rock is cooking and disappears to go leave on the runabout with Odo. Uh, and he gets to Odo, but then the Romulan leader guy shows up holding a phaser and the key they need to release the runabout. Odo asks why he's doing this. And the Romulan says, as we've heard before, because no changeling has ever harmed another. He's a changeling. And he infiltrated the Romulan Cardassian team up and worked to make sure the plans went into motion. That was a true mouth agape moment for me. Oh, wasn't it cool? Because it just, (laughs) you know, it's it's TV. So especially network TV, it's it's really hard to do a rug pull. But this, mm-hmm. I did not, I did not see it. Oh, yeah. No, me neither the first time I saw yeah. it. And it's just like, oh, God, that's so devastating. And even better choice, I thought. Not better, but like I thought, which what made it, it went from great to goat, is that they still have it. It wasn't a, it wasn't, it was a trap, but it wasn't a plot. They just heard Tane. Right. going to do this. And so they're like, well, we got to protect ourselves. So they never, they won't let them go full Gorn, right? Just like, like just evil, bloodthirsty villains. They are keeping them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that because they're, at this point, they're, what is it, jujitsu, where it's all about, you know, redirecting someone while they're moving, or Taibo? No, Taibo no, is taibo. the <laughs> exercise for old people. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to look into that. No, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> it's what Bruce Lee does. So jujitsu, I think. No, uh, uh, Jeet Kwon Do or something. Taekwondo, something like that. whatever it is. <laughs> Two people. We do not know is what we're getting. We down do to not. Here. I think all martial arts are basically I, defense. I, I think what karate we're, what for we're, sure. 
think what we're saying is that we would lose in a fight. Uh, oh, 100%. But, like, their manipulations are very solid. They're like, oh, you're going in that direction? Great. Let me just shove you just a little bit to the left. Just Keith's about a to get punched. To Hold right. on. Let me get my dice. I got to roll strength check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but you, you knew how to use that phrase correctly. So you just added yourself <laughs> yeah, as knowing right. more than any non-nerd would know. <laughs> um, anyway... So he explains the whole plot. Uh, you know, I just pushed them in the direction they were already going because without the Cardassians and Romulans, the only real threats to the Changelings are the Federation and the Klingons. But the, and, the, the uh, second half of that line is the best part. They're not going to be a threat for much longer. What does that mean? I don't know, buddy. <laughs> That's like the ellipse of all... What a mic drop and then just beam out? Oh, it's man. Like, bye. <laughs> they do that quite a bit. They've worked on their mic drops, all of them. Yeah, because they're they always sure they're always saying something ominous and then and then beaming out. He offers Odo a chance to come back and rejoin the Great Link. Odo says nope, much to Garrick's shock. I don't know if you had the the shot of yeah, exactly. So you we see this scene through Garrick's eyes, mm -hmm. which I think is so cool. He's the one in focus. We're watching Garrick listen to this interaction and wonder, because he knows Odo does want to go back. What's Odo going to do here? And the direction, it's all about Andrew Robinson's eyes in this scene. So good. The founder beams out, and Odo goes to the runabout. But Garrick says, hold on, I got to go rescue Tane. That he has a personal debt to repay. Thus belying... His feelings about Tane are genuine. Mm -hmm. This isn't about like any subterfuge. He genuinely feels a debt to Tane. Uh, he arrives on the bridge, which is entirely on fire, to find Tane alone babbling madly uh, like a Shakespearean character. He has lost his mind. Garrick tells him what's happening and tries to get him to leave, but Tane really isn't there. He just says his trusting people were his greatest weakness. Garrick begs him to go with him, but he won't. And Odo arrives and knocks Garrick out to save his life, because Garrick was going to stay there and try and save his guy. Uh, and Tane says, the founders were good. We should have been more careful. Odo and Garrick zoom out into the middle of a giant battle in the runabout. They're going to try to make a run for it but they're getting their butts kicked by a Jem'Hadar ship. And they're almost immediately dead in the water. The shields are gone. And thinking they're about to die, Garrick makes a sincere apology to Odo. To which Odo surprisingly says, I will never agree with what you did, but I can certainly understand your desire to return home. Ugh, God, so cool. Of course, at the last second, the Defiant decloaks for the rescue mission, and it one punches the first Karda or uh, uh, Jem'Hadar ship. They blow another out of the sky and beam Odo and Garrick on board. Uh, the battle sequence here is the best, coolest-looking battle we've ever seen on Trek to this point. Um. They're starting to get hit. Stuff starts blowing up on the bridge, and they fight their way through and blow up another ship. 
Uh, it's hard to explain the giant leap in the battle effects here, but I'll I'll try. Um, I know that by contemporary standards, that's not particularly amazing. Um, but for the perspective of uh, Star Trek and this world, that battle sequence was jaw-dropping. Um, cool. It's interesting because it it's not has nothing to do with the effects. I'm just not on this show for whatever reason. I'm not really just that interested in the battle stuff. Like it's mm. this other stuff that is interesting to me. But I get it. I mean, I get how that must have been, especially on TV. You must have been just like floored. Yeah, I mean, it was really. I mean, it's it's probably all of forty five seconds of battle sequence through all of that. Um, but especially for the kid in me, I was just like yeah. vibratingly excited by seeing that. Um, anyway, uh, so Garrick and Odo arrive on the bridge, and the first person to greet Odo is Kira. Of course, that's very meaningful. The rest of the Jem'Hadar ships are hanging around to blow up the rest of the Cardassian Romulan fleet, so they peace out, leaving them all basically to die. Uh, later, the Admiral zooms with Sisko. They don't know if any of the Romulan Cardassian fleet survived, but the Admiral is both happy and mad with Sisko and says, I'm not going to charge anyone. Uh, this was a, thanks for doing that, because uh, that was really useful, but I'm kind of mad, but I'm not really that mad. I told you not to, but assumed you would, so I put a person on board to stop you, but he couldn't stop you, so I couldn't be that mad because you got our guy out, and you learned a lot, and you didn't hurt anybody, and they are blowing each other up, so... Next time? Next time, don't do that. Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh... Charlie? Oh, Char Charlie's composing behind me. That's actually buddy. pretty effective. Pretty effective. Yeah, thanks. Did, thanks did you write building... Oppenheimer? <laughs> He's building tension. So, uh... Later. Garrick walks through his bombed-out tailor shop. He's going to have to pick up the pieces, Literally. There is a phenomenal shot of him cleaning a mirror and revealing the silhouette of Odo standing in his doorway. This whole scene takes place in a tight profile shot of Garrick's face with only an out-of-focus reflection of Odo. You know what? I, no small feat. First of all, there's, we'll talk about the scene on its own because I think it's yeah. a master stroke. But also, I think they were like, you know what? We put Renee in the makeup chair too much this week. <laughs> that's let's, true let's just let oh, him but do it's, VO oh, no, but it's so oh, so cool uh, and if you know I went back and I, I, wa I watched this scene three times for lots of different reasons but him wiping the mirror is part of the one single take mm. this whole scene is one shot one single take including the wiping of the mirror uh, so Odo thanks Garrick for not putting what he confessed to in the report, same way he didn't tell Tane. And Odo mentions that Quark wants to rent the space if Garrick isn't going to use it. He's obviously asking if he's going to stay. And Garrick says... Can he go back now? Where's he going to go? It's his buddy... He's got he, nowhere else to go. His buddy that was going to let him back into the... Yeah, no, he, he's, he's he has no choice. His return he's, back was predicated on Tane being welcomed home a hero. That's and right. Garrick with him. And so he's back right where he started in his version of hell. And he has to stay there. And he but says... But we know his feelings have shifted slightly. Yeah. 
and and he says, "You know what the sad part is, Odo? I'm a very good tailor." And Robinson's performance of that line is gutting because he's you almost see a tear in his eye because you know this is absolutely devastating for Garrick to be stuck here doing the same thing. And then Odo says... Not only that, Keith, right? Yeah. Not just stuck doing the same thing. Because I thought that too, but the more I've thought about it, the, the texture here, the texture here. He just got to basically... You know, we always joke, we're like, oh, if I could go back to high school and do... And blah. Yeah. He got to do that, right? He got to go back and live his previous life with his previous boss, doing his previous stuff that he used to love, he used to cherish, he was great at. But this time, he didn't love it. It sucked. Yeah. It had panic. It it wasn't it so now even the dream anymore. of going back mm. isn't the dream Spoiled. anymore. Because you realize it's like after forty years, I get a call today, you're on Broadway. Yeah. And then yeah. I go and it is terrible. And it sucks yeah. and I'm miserable. And then what is my dream? What is your dream now? And and it makes you be a person that you used to be that you're not proud of. Yeah. So now, so it's so so it's right here. It's not just picking up the pieces. It's starting over and not knowing even what. It's nothing. It's having nothing. It's rubble. Right. His right dream now. is gone. It's as rubble. He, he he hates his life. He has to go back to it, but he doesn't even have a dream anymore. Wow. But friendship. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yes. So. uh Anyway, so uh, then Odo says, you know, we should eat for breakfast together sometime. And Garrick says, but Constable, I thought you didn't eat. And Odo says, I don't. And disappears. Uh, wow. I literally watched this scene three times to get all of the nuances from Andrew Robinson. Um, it's... A phenomenal scene. You know what I feel bad for is uh, Bashir's lunch. Because after an Odo breakfast with great tete-a-tete, <laughs> what's a Bashir lunch look like? I know, right? All of that, all that subtext. Oh my god, it's so cool. We have what the heck was that? It's lightning, man. It's, was that really? Yeah, I think. Well, let's hope we can get to the end of the show. Oh my goodness, yeah. So there's an apocalyptic storm rolling over both of us. Wait, again? Yeah, the sky's black. <laughs> Both of us, me in New Jersey and Mike in Philadelphia, uh, it's it's as uh, as dark as this episode is at points. The sky is melty Odo. But uh, storms aside, apocalypse aside, we have some things to adjudicate in a segment we call... Uh, all right. So first off, we must start as we always do. Were there any wormholes in the plot? Well, you know, I had the the major one, which was Garrick and the interrogation and what what was happening there. And we talked through it, and we we made it make sense. But I will say it was the that was the wormholiest bit for me. Uh, and I guess the weapon thing too. Why that weapon isn't more part of our plan going forward, but you you fixed that for me too, I guess. 
think they also said it was a prototype. It's a it's a prototype. So and, they haven't. And so they haven't even tested it yet. Although this so, is a pretty good test. It's a pretty good test, except for uh, the weapon and all the people who developed it just got their asses blowed up. Oh, you're right. It got blown up. Yeah, it got blown oh, up. That's convenient. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess going. You know what? The, the thing is, is Garrick has often showed himself to be very improvisational. So mm-hmm. he might have gone in expect wanting to get something or expecting to, like you said, have somebody over his shoulder and things just evolved the way they evolved. It was interesting that he couldn't stop until he, Odo said something as, as torturous as it was. That was the one bit. I'm still don't love it, though I loved that scene and that beat. Well, so it's hard to. We don't love it for the only reason that we want to love Garrick. Yeah. We don't love it because. Why won't you it, let me love you, Garrick? It, it might reveal something kind of dark running through Garrick, but mm-hmm. I don't it I that I think the only reason that's bumping us is because we don't want it to be the truth. I guess the other question I would have is I and I brought up my feelings about uh what's his bucket? The guy who turned us in. Or guy who was just following orders. Oh, 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 oh um Yes. That guy. That guy. Uh, uh Eddington. Eddington. But we talked about it and he was uh, yeah. He came on the mission. Look, he came on the mission. He kind of had to, right? Like the admiral was like, "Yo, I, I think go. he was ordered yeah. to. I think he was ordered by the admiral to go on the mission, sort of undercover, and uh, and make this happen." All right, everything other than that tracks. I mean, I guess you could make the case of when did Tane? Wait, so two things. One, when did Tane go nuts? But I guess that's not. He just he lost. He was for a person who's made it his his mission to always have be one step ahead to realize how far behind he was. I can see why that would drive you insane. Yeah. And then lastly, I guess, so, so he dead, we can assume that the head of the obsidian order is dead. Well, that's not going to be good for the, uh, f- for the, uh, future prospects of plant. Well, I guess, no, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was an exile anyway. So he was an exile. They he, probably he have another leader currently. Maybe, although it seems like the Obsidian Order was fully invested in this project. Right. So I don't think there's like another Obsidian. Well, I don't know. I mean, these are unanswered questions. All right. So outside of that, no, I think we've pieced through everything I needed to think through. I think this like last episode was so well written and, and thought through. You would never know these were not intended to be. Well, not that they weren't intended that you would never know that this was like a. There's some a level of improvisation in this, yeah, yeah. Joining, but no, it was great. No, I mean, I, I, like, I don't, I certainly don't have anything substantial at all. Um, you know, one question I had about both episodes is why is Tane on a on a uh, a Romulan ship, not a Cardassian ship? But I guess like if he's in charge of it, he wants to be over there to make sure he has some control over what the Romulans do. Um, Clearly, so, he needed them in some in a lot of capacities because even the time the time where he like acquiesced, I don't I don't think he's usually a guy who makes a lot of compromises, but he compromised and let uh, Odo stay alive because the Romulan guy said he wanted him to stay alive. He also there was a couple other things he said at one point. He said for the sake of cooperation. So I yeah. think he was definitely trying to keep bridges unburned, though he's yeah. t- tantamount usually to burning them. You know, and the, the only other question I had, and I, I sort of get it, like both from a storytelling perspective and from the perspective of um, 
you know, that how difficult it is. But like, I thought only 20 ships felt a little light to me. They really thought they were going to bl- obliterate a species with 20 ships. Well, the, from what they knew, it was a planet all by itself with no defenses. Mm-hmm. Right. And from what they knew, there were no Jem'Hadar stations close, um, which you could, you could rationalize. Like the, the founders wanted being them. They want to be secret. They want nobody to know where they are. The only reason any of us know where that planet is, is because of genetic code built into Odo. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise nobody, none of the fat, none of the rest of the dominion even knows where it is. And from the founders perspective, they want to, they're setting up a trap. Mm-hmm. So they certainly want to make it look like a, like a tempting target. You know what Mike Garrick learned today? Like Mike mm. Garrick? Mike Garrick, yes. Odo's let's slip. He says, I want to join them in the lake, which is making me think, you know what we got to do if we want to get the founders? We got to poison that lake. Oh. Thought. Keith, I'm going to need you to go poo in that pool. Hmm. I think uh, I think I might pass on that, but maybe, maybe we'll go on, on round. Could we beam a poo down? We might be able to beam a poo down into the pool. Yeah. Founders, no longer an issue. Keith, I did it for you. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome, Trek Universe. Wow, we nailed it. All right, well, uh, two episodes in a row with practically nothing for wormholes. Mike, let's do the best moment. Woo! So, I mean, listen, I mean, they go on to a full Shakespeare performance here. I mean, it's it's Macbeth. It's the it, that scene, the torture scene, the interrogation scene is just... I think, who was it, Sands that was saying it's just two world-class actors at the peak of the world-classedness. Yeah. So I don't know that there's you can even make a case. You can make a case for the opening scene with Tane, with Dooley, and mm-hmm. Garrick. You can make a case. I don't think it would be an effective one because I, I just don't think there's a better scene than the torture. So much is revealed. So much is said. Well, that scene is actually like... The performance tells the story, whereas a couple scenes earlier where they kind of have a face-off, Odo and Garrick, they have a scene There's very much between the lines, and it's a lot right. of dialogue. But the, and that's, right, right, I think, right. I'm, for me, the more most effective moment, the best moment for me was that nonverbal, that just the emotional scene mm. there. Yeah, and, and for me, obviously, it's going to be an Odo-Garrick scene, but for me, uh, it's, I, I think the, the final scene, with with Odo oh, in, yeah, in silhouette, I think that scene is a masterpiece. It also, ha- yeah, from a production standpoint as well. From from a production standpoint, from a writing standpoint, from a performance standpoint, it is a masterpiece. Um, but I'm going to narrow it down even further. Wow! It's Robinson's performance of the line. You know what the sad part is, Odo. I'm a very good tailor. Uh, and then his like almost tear after he says that Pathos, line. Yeah. Oh, it breaks my heart um so i i think it's just if you could just i mean for me personally i don't want to go too far into hyperbole but like for a 45 seconds of deep space nine there might be one scene that i think is as good but i don't think anything is better than that 45 seconds of deep space nine so far Uh, personally uh so that is definitely my best moment we got to hand out something. Oh, that was the pitch? Okay. That was the pitch, yeah. You get some stamps. Hell yeah! Stamps! For you! Mike, 
Take it away, sir. Well, Keith. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, much of what I said last week applies here. I, it, there's... In many ways, I think this is a stronger episode. Uh, we get the, the shooty-shoots and the pew-pew-pews, which I think is cool, right? But I think more what that shows is that it's on, right? And then when you look at the zoom-out grand scheme, the chessboard as it stands, we learn so much, right? We learn that Starfleet kind of knows what's up, and we know where where they're standing in that line in the sand, which is uh, many paces behind, <laughs> just waiting, right, as the water's encroaching, encroaching. We learn that the Founders have a pretty good sense of their enemies, right, and, and mm-hmm. uh, what they think their threat level is. We also know that we are, and if you, you know, basically, if you take a look at the Obsidian Order and you t- look at the, what, what are the Romulan special ops called? Uh, the Tal Shiar. The Tal Shiar. We've basically built them for three seasons plus other shows as these elite. Yeah, super elite. Elite spy forces, uh, double agents, secret agents, this, that, the other thing. And yet they were woefully outplayed here woefully so once again we've established just how much danger is afoot and we see here Ben's he plays very fast and loose which I guess captains tend to do but there's a lot of I don't know that we are the defiance great don't get me wrong but clearly it's not as powerful as 20 plus warbirds that showed themselves to be not enough Just got their asses handed to them so from a that level of storytelling we learned so much in this episode much more i would say than the, what we learned last episode which is like there's a plot and blah 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 so nailed it plus on top of that we got some incredible duet beats but on top of that we got to see garrick 98% demasked. Yeah. For brief moments, but yeah. we got to see it. And even better, whereas sorry to do keep doing this. You should really be watching both our shows by the way. <laughs> Over on Strange New Worlds, you'll notice that like a, a kind of a critique we're having is that when they are not quite sure what they want to do with a a storyline, they sort of just tie it up real quick and bounce and jettison. Yeah. Whereas yeah, here, yeah, they sure do. Garrick's arc is not complete. It feels like we've closed a chapter or a movement has finished, but we've left him in a new place. We've left him broken. We've left so many questions, but we didn't write him off. He's still, there's still so many places Mm -hmm. we could go. Which it's, it's, it's a new place. Same as the old place. He's right back where he started. And yet everything is different, which is amazing, right? these two episodes and like we barely see our cast they're doing badass stuff but eh, kind of like meanwhile back on deep space nine or back on the defiant so you know that is just that is insane and and i'm glad to hear somebody mention that garrick's their favorite character because it tells me he's he's still with us going forward and of course he will be yeah it's just a great episode i i feel like i really shot hard last week so i don't want to 
leave myself nowhere to go. But I do think it's a superior episode in, in some ways, most in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to bump at the extra stem bolt to 97, right? Which I think I feel confident as a, as a two, as a, as a, complete whole many times two parters do not feel satisfying like the first part mm -hmm. leaves too much fruit on the tree or the second part tells the story we were hoping the first part would have got to this right, i really right, felt right, right. for a, for a disjointed combo was just almost a perfect one hour hour and a half episode film yeah. type episode of television so i'm happy with a 97 combined score that's where i'm gonna sit yeah yeah i mean you know i, I think a lot of people said in the comments that this for for a lot of people is when Deep Space Nine kicks off. I think you could you could make an argument for you know the Gem Hadar and then the you know the two episode the search, uh, part one and two are very you know like it's it's you can't really kick off without those. Mm -hmm. um, but I I think the the confluence of going into this level of storytelling, Iris Stephen Bear taking over. Um, as as the showrunner, and you know, in some of the the commentary, um, I you know the the original showrunners were like, uh, we don't like what you're doing, Ira. What are you doing? This is crazy. This wild, dark, whatever. And he's like, you set it up. <laughs> I'm just. I'm Did just they not think that story. they could keep the wheels turning for long enough? Is that what their problem was? I, I don't think they wanted to go as dark as it is. I don't think they wanted to go as serialized. Uh, or as complex as it is, um, but Ira's completing the thought. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think they wanted to really go as far as Ira went, and but I think when Ira takes over and goes that far, it is wildly superior. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've said all that there is to say about uh, about Renee's performance, about Andrew's performance, about the writing of their scenes. Paul Dooley is fantastic in this. Um, I think the step up in the visual effects. And the battles, uh, you know, were were giant and very exciting. You know, to me, it's, it's still exciting to me. My heart gets pumping when I see the Defiant, you know, just flying through, blowing stuff up and, and getting the point of view from behind the Defiant. All of that makes me really excited. Um, I thought the... Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I interject. It, 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 you know, some of the best episodes, it takes this this confidence. What was the episode of, of the original series I watched recently about the, the sort of hunt for Red October? episode oh um balance of terror yeah you know it's you don't always need to have quippy quip funny funny right you yeah. you can have the confidence to say you know what this week guys none of we're not there's no comedic relief the stakes right. are too high things are too serious and this episode does that too and, and it's none the worse for it. it it's no you know you can do it once in a while i want i do wonder going forward now that it's not just the existential threat is there and we can still do fun episodes in between yeah yeah but now, like you said, the die is cast. Shit has begun to hit the fan and spray everywhere. Can we still find ways to pepper in those kind of one-off episodes and such? Oh yes, oh oh yes, and and we have one coming up next week, okay. right? Um, that that oh yeah, no, this as explosive as this was this week, it's still going to be the the fuse is lit and it's moving faster than it has thus far but it's still a slow burn like we are this is going to take time to spin all this out so we're still we're definitely still going to have um plenty of episodes that are not just this mm -hmm. um because it, it wouldn't work oh how's that storm going buddy uh flash flooded warning this is mm -hmm. a dangerous life-threatening situation do not attempt to travel and go upstairs do not 
Try to do a sneak attack on the founders. <laughs> no, now is not the time. Do n- no poo transfer currently. Do not transfer the poo. It's going to wash away anyway. Yeah, it's not worth so it. So you won't even it's know. Not, it's not worth the strain. <laughs> I, I have to say, also, I just wanted to shout out the makeup work in this episode. Um, oh, just got it. yeah. The, the, the makeup design and execution of Flaky Odo, in, you know, and incorporating his costume as part of it, it was... You know, talk about pulling no punches. Like, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were a child, I'd be terrified of Odo in that moment. Not only that, but just to remind folks, because it's easy to forget when you're, when something is so, feels so authentic and lived in. To get those scenes to be that intimate, that giant camera had to be on top of them, and they basically yeah. had to be licking each other's faces. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean, and, like, just tucked and in a corner. the camera. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just hard to really emote and not be in your brain space when you when something yeah. is this far from you. But but you would never know it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of makeup, the you know I, me- I mentioned on Strange New Worlds that both the uh, Vulcans and the Romulans didn't look quite right to me mm-hmm. because if you look at the Romulans in this era, they have a they have a consistent sort of pigmentation, and whatever makeup they you know they put on. Um, on, on, on what's his face like that it completes the Romulan look hmm. um, on uh, on uh, Leland Orser in this it's it's paler it's a little bit yellow it's wh- whatever it is whatever that well, skin you get into all kinds is. of stuff with like color correction on film versus color correction digitally there's a whole bunch of it's well a, but they're it's they're they're uh, the 90s aliens don't they're, they're sort of monochromatic whatever color they are it's a flat color and I understand it's more realistic, you know, like I'm 17 different colors on my face, but there's something about that flat color that makes it, that completes the immersion for me. Anyway, it, it, that's about Keith, we're going to need some math. Yes, uh, but before I do my math, I need to talk about one thing. Okay. Uh, and that is what the founders pulled off here. And, and the element that we haven't really given full weight to yet and that is infiltration and you know we've sort of alluded to it here or there but yeah, hold the f- on so this romulan is like a high-ranking dude mm-hmm. so has have they did they implant him way back and he came up through the ranks or did they murder a dude and he just took over as him don't know they're both pretty they're scary both- they're both really scary. And if you think through the consequences of, oh, they could replace people for long periods of time without us knowing, um, that's a thing to maybe uh, put a pin in. Yeah. Uh, because that's that gets real scary. Um, and the consequences of that are like, what, how do we, what do we do? Yeah, that's a Pandora's box, right? That's Pandora's box. Both in terms of like how do we how do we protect ourselves from that? Yeah, forget degooing technology. Someone's gotta someone's gotta develop are you a founder technology. Right. All of a sudden we're in the thing. Hmm. Right? You know so, that diner uh, from the thing? Oh, that's the blob. Forget it. Anecdote that's the blob. denied. No. Anyway, so just like put a pin in that too, because yeah. I think that, that really the the scary part, that that is a new layer of scary. For yeah, the Dominion. 100% Hundo P, as they here. say. Um, so, uh, all of that adds up 
for me, it's getting a full 96 self-sealing stem bolts. Um, Whoa! It's a, it's a fantastic episode. It's a fantastic two-parter. Um, really exhilarating television. And uh, it ranks in IMDb this episode. Top 10, we, right? It is number 10. It is number 10 out of the 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine uh, with an 8.9. So uh, we're starting to cook, buddy. We are starting to cook. And now we're getting really. goatee, so I'm not going to... That's it. That was it. That was the end of non-goatee Ben. That is the end of non-goatees. So uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Explorers. Okay. Um, which is, uh, I think, a, fast, a, a really interesting follow-up to this one. Um, so there we go. Uh, if you uh, haven't done all the things and subscribed to the channel and uh, given us a like and all that stuff... You can check out our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys every Saturday, KM Geekly every Monday, and a strange new show. Keith and Mike watch Star Trek Strange New Worlds every Friday uh, right here in your feed. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash KM. Uh, yeah, and do all the various things. If you're listening to the audio-only version of this uh, on the podcasting feed, uh, you could do us a huge favor by leaving a... Uh, of rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service really helps people find the show. Yeah, it's engagement. Join. You know what I mean? Like uh, YouTube takes money from everybody, but it's not so much that. If you just leave a comment or a like or a heart or, you know what? At the end of the day, I would sacrifice all of that. It could care less about the views and numbers. Just tell a friend. It's just more fun with more folks. Uh, this has been an amazing community. I thank you for welcoming me into it, and I hope we can welcome more folks into it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we continue. Just only a few episodes left in season three before we cook into season four. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash knm. <laughs>